Welcome to Season 2 of Riddles in the Dark, the best of Tolkien punditry on the internet, if I do say so myself, <laughs> brought to you by the Midgard Institute and the Tolkien Professor and Middle Earth Network Radio. So um, after taking like a really, really short break, um, which was barely even a break since we actually recorded a couple of episodes <laughs> during our break. Um, we're back with with us with our second season, um, and we're kind of doing this as seasons. There's, as you can imagine, there'll be three yeah. seasons to match up with three films, and so uh, this is the very first episode of season two. And the topic today will be Bjorn. So I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts Trish Lambert and the to illustrious Tolkien professor himself. Professor Corey Olson. Yeah, this is like scene two, now with new grandiose intro. <laughs> That's right. And, and actually, yep. I think Corey is, Corey is recording from Bjorn's Hall today, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> from somewhere, yes. I'm actually, I'm in the, uh, I'm, I'm up visiting my family in New Hampshire again, uh, but I'm not in the basement where I normally uh, broadcast uh, Mythgard classes. Instead, I am, I am, I am up in my nephew's room, which is a little scary, I have to admit, but uh, I, I'm fine. So yes, that's <laughs> the new echies, the new echoey spot. Okay, all that's, right. Sounds like fun. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad that they they aren't. I'm glad they aren't just relegating you to the basement. Like, no, no. I did get a little bit of a promotion today, so that's uh, that's uh, that's definitely uh, uh, an advantage. <clears throat> and uh, so, no, and I was going to just going to respond to Sharon. No hamsters. Actually, there are three hamsters in the house, but none in the room. So you know, it's a, it's a <laughs> different from my usual routine too. Uh, I don't so know yes, where that came from. But okay. oh, it's from my, it's, it's a reference. I my my son's hamster is always making odd noises in the background of my myth. When he class. does his lectures, Dave, yeah, he's got his son's hamster kind of decides to, you know, try to make as much noise as possible behind yeah, him when he gives he, his lectures. So. He, like, totally audio bombs my classes. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, he really yeah. does. But anyway, <laughs> so, yes. He's almost as famous as Sebastian the Hedgehog. <laughs> almost. Almost. Exactly. That's too bad. That would be such an appropriate, uh, uh, that'd be so appropriate for this episode. <laughs> I know. I know. It's true. Does he also walk on two legs? Uh, he does, but uh, he does not. He he does not serve anyone but himself. Uh, so in that way, he is very unlike Bjorn's animals. And I and I have sternly told my bird to keep quiet during this episode. So he is also okay. going to be talking. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, but yeah, anyway, Dave, as you were very politely saying, Happy New Year uh, to you and to everyone. Very exciting to uh, formally launch into. Uh, into season two here and get started on on film stuff of course stuff that we had been kind of originally planning to talk about last year and ended up pushing back so uh, uh looking you know we've been looking forward for months to talking about bjorn and mirkwood and the spiders and the elven king and all that stuff and so we're finally going to get to do that now that we're officially in season two so uh, yeah, in fact one of our first one of our earliest riddles was even a mirkwood riddle yes <laughs> We were way ahead of the, really jumped the gun there. Yeah. Well, you know, again, like in our defense, prior to the trilogy announcement, that was that was perfectly reasonable. In fact, we had lots of evidence to suspect it was going to happen. So, but yes, in retrospect, it has turned out to be uh, a, little, a little, a bit previous. But anyway, um, 
we're uh, off to Bjorn today. So I wanted to uh, sort of start off talking about uh, Bjorn in the books a little bit, because Bjorn is a, is a, I find Bjorn a really fascinating character. He is um, a very unusual character. Um, one of the, I think there are two things that I would point out that I think really make uh, him remarkable uh, in the published Hobbit book. One is sort of an external structure thing, and that is he's one of the characters, or rather his episode is one of the episodes, which seems to me to be most dependent upon another work. Uh, I, I, you know, my regular listeners know that I don't spend a lot of time talking about Tolkien's influences and, uh, you know, and here I think there was this other book that influenced him here, but I do think it's pretty clear that there is, uh, uh, that there are some books that influenced this passage with Bjorn. And I'm thinking in particular of the Dr. Doolittle books. The Dr. Doolittle books, um, of course, the book about the famous naturalist, Dr. Doolittle, who could speak to all the animals and had all these animal friends that he could talk to in their own languages, um, was a, you know, a famous serial, uh, you know, set of children's books uh, from about a, you know, decade to 20 years prior to uh, the writing of The Hobbit. And, um, and they were, they were collected and loved by all of Tolkien's sons, and, and he read them with him. So we, we know that these were books that were read and, and discussed in the Tolkien household. Um, and the relationship that Bjorn has with his animal companions is like nothing else we see in Tolkien. I think it's safe to say. Um, in particular, the way that the animals are anthropomorphized, we never see, Tol I, 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 I can't think of another example where Tolkien does this kind of anthropomorphizing of animals, you know, having the dog walk on their back feet and carry trays in their front paws and all that kind of thing. Um, he, you know, of course, he has a great respect for animals, and we see people with animal friends and talking to animals at many points, but never um, sort of changing animals in this way. They're always, it's, it's in, in it, everywhere else that I can think of, it's a question of people who have the ability to relate to animals on their own terms, you know, so they're not, they're not domesticated animals. They're not animals who act like people. And these are, and again, that's much more Dr. Doolittle, uh, I think, than it is, um, than it is anything else, and certainly more than it is like other books. And it's interesting, the Dr. Doolittle books occupy another interesting kind of, uh, relationship to The Hobbit, because it seems relatively clear that when the publishers asked for a sequel to The Hobbit, what they were really hoping for was that The Hobbit would turn into a series just like the Doolittle books. Uh, you know, the Doolittle books were not a series in the sense of, you know, like a, a 10 part story told over 10 different books, but just of, you know, a series of adventures, stuff that happens to Dr. Doolittle and his friends. Um, and it seems like that's the kind of serial that they were hoping The Hobbit would become. That, you know, the story of Bilbo's little adventure was nice. Now let's have, you know, either Bilbo go on a second adventure or, you know, maybe a series of books about similar adventures that happened to different Hobbits or whatever. And that's the story that Tolkien started off writing. It's like, okay, he didn't want to write another Bilbo story, so he decided to write a Frodo story. Um, well, of course, he wasn't named Frodo. He was named Bingo at first. But anyway... Um, he was going to write a bingo baggins story and that of course eventually turned into the lord of the rings and hence ended the idea of a lighthearted serial uh li like the dr doolittle series but um anyway so I, that, that's just one thing that's to me really interesting and i think 
um, the, the, the influence of the Doolittle book seems to me to really jump out here because, you know, you can say, for instance, that Tolkien's goblins in chapter four look a lot like George MacDonald's goblins uh, in The Princess and the Goblin, and they certainly do. And I think that's very clear. But, um, but you know, you can, you can read Tolkien's goblins and not think about George MacDonald. You know, it doesn't really make that much difference. But it, it, it's not like within Tolkien's world the goblins need some explanation. In Tolkien's world, Bjorn's animals, to me, kind of do need an explanation. You know, I mean, they're weird. They, they, that's just, animals don't act like that in Tolkien's world anywhere else other than in the house of Bjorn. And uh, um, and to me, the explanation, the, 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 the best explanation I can give for that lies in that kind of influence that he was sort of in this chapter indulging, and I suspect indulging his children as well, personally, um, that they really liked that um, and that he was pleasing them um, and thus writing something which did not fit with the way that he normally wrote animals and the, and the way that his stories normally wrote and kept it. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's, that's one thing, one way in which I think the Bjorn sequence is to me really interesting. The other is that, um, uh, uh, oh, actually, let me respond to Yana's uh, observation here because I think it's a really good point. Yana says, um, that, uh, you know, isn't it a bit like, uh, like Huan, the hound in the Silmarillion? Um, you know, he's definitely not like a normal, he doesn't act like a normal hound. And that's true. But I would, I would point to, to, to a major difference there. Huan is not an anthropomorphized hound. He is a hound with supernatural capabilities. So he is able to speak in human language, for instance, or elven language, uh, for instance. Uh, on, but again, there's, there's like a magical restriction to that. You know, he's able to speak on three occasions. Um, and, you know, and that's very, um, you know, very sort of fairy tale tradition kind of stuff right there. And he's like the hound of Valinor, you know, he's, he's like the, the hound of the gods um, who was, who was, was given to Kelegorm by Orome. So um, he is much more like a demigod in dog form, but he's still consistent with that dog form. Apart from the fact that he speaks and is capable of doing other things and obviously is very intelligent, um, he still acts like a dog. Um, and, uh, you know, David makes a, a, an interesting comparison to the dog in Farmer Giles of Ham, who is somewhat anthropomorphized. And I agree, David, that's true. But even there, you'll notice um, uh, Gorm, as I think his name, if I'm remembering correctly, the name of the dog in Farmer Giles of Ham, he's, he is anthropomorphized, but only mentally. That is, we get his dialogue and he speaks. Garm, sorry. Yeah, thank you, Robert. I knew I was, I was, I was close. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, he, 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 he does, he speaks and he sort of makes a joke out of that, but he never physically, he's still, he's still very doggy. Uh, you know, I mean, he acts like a dog. Um, and as David points out, Bjorn's dogs walk and serve, but don't speak, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that um, uh, it's, I, st I still don't find any direct parallel for those, uh, animals filling the role of human, like consciously filling the role of human beings that we see in Bjorn's in Bjorn's house. Um, Corey, uh, yeah. you want to give us a give us the definition of anthropomorphized for non-native English speakers? <laughs> sure, sure. Just made to act and look like human beings, basically. Um, so it's the difference between. Um, it's the difference between an animal which acts like an animal but might have high intelligence 
and an animal which, you know, like the, the, the classic example of anthropomorphized animals would be something like Wind in the Willows, where you get, um, you get, uh, animal, you know, you get, uh, you know, badger and mole, uh, and water rat. And they're, you know, they wear human clothes and they ride boats and drive cars and they have furniture in their house that looks, uh, you know, quite like Bag End actually. And, um, and, you know, so they're, 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 they, they act in most ways like people, even though they're technically animals. Um, uh, whereas you have other animal stories, like, for instance, one of my favorite books in the world, Watership Down by Richard Adams, the rabbit book. Um, and that in, in that book, you could say, in a sense, the animals are anthropomorphized in that we, we are taken into their perspective and we see them speak to each other and think, but they don't act like you. They still act like rabbits. You know, they only have the physical capability of rabbits. They can't wear clothes. They can't carry things in their hands. Um, you know, they, they are, they are in that way naturalistic animals. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis's animals in Narnia are kind of a middle ground. Um, they have the ability to speak and talking, the talking animals of Narnia are clearly within the world of Narnia, a discrete, they're separate from animals. You know, they're not, they're not the same. There are the regular animals and then there are the talking animals. Um, and uh, they, they do have some more, I mean, we do see some of the animals in Narnia doing more human-like things and acting um, sort of physically in ways that, that uh, regular animals would never be capable of doing. But um but they're still not, they're not like the wind in the willows. They're not like, uh, you know, wearing clothes and driving motor cars. Um, so, um, you know, to use, to use a more modern example than the wind in the willows, another example of anthropomorphized animals would be like the Disney cartoon Robin Hood, where you have animals cast in the parts of all the human roles and doing all human things. That's another perfect illustration of anthropomorphized animals. Um, but uh, right, David, exactly. The Mrs. Beaver's sewing machine is one of the thing I was one of the things I was thinking of. That we do get this kind of middle ground. You have Mr. Beaver who does act like a beaver in many ways, um, you know, in building his dam and everything else. But Mrs. Beaver does have a sewing machine and cooks in an oven. Exactly. So we the the, the talking animals of Narnia are in a they're much more anthropomorphized, though not fully. Um, you know, like uh, the uh, Disney Robin Hood or Wind in the Willows versions of it. Anyway. Um, Bjorn's animals are interesting. And I think that we, you know, we can, uh, the, the point that, um, uh, the, the point that, wait, who was it? Who, oh yeah, that David, uh, was making, um, uh, is definitely, um, is definitely well taken in that the animals, the, the animals, and as Philip was just pointing out also, Bjorn's animals appear to be human only in their actions. Uh, they don't, but they don't appear to have thought or intelligence like other Tolkien animals. Um, for example, the eagles, and I agree, Philip, we never see, uh, you know, with the Lord of the Eagles, we get his dialogue and his thought process completely, set, not just in conversation with the main characters, but we get that cut scene to the eagle, you know, the, the Lord of the Eagles looking down and seeing the fire from a distance and saying, I wonder, you know, what's going on in the forest tonight. Um, and we don't get anything like that with Bjorn's animals. Now, that's not proof that they don't think. Um, and Bjorn certainly seems to be able to communicate with them and more generally speaking, commune with them. Um, but um, but they don't, um, but, uh, but, but we don't see any evidence of it. Um, apart from their actions, they do seem to act, they, they, are, they do seem to be more, more bestial. And, and that I take to be, you know, Tolkien didn't generally like 
animals dressed up in, 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 you know, and acting like humans. Um, he did that sometimes, but not, uh, but not most of the time. Um, that is uh, well, the sometime I'm thinking of like the children's book that he wrote, Mr. Bliss, where you've got the three bears who, uh, who, who do act more like people. But again, that's like, that's a picture book. That's, that's a totally different kind of thing. Um, not nearly the same kind of, uh, I don't know. I have this, sub-creation. I have this huh? I have this picture of those. Uh, I have this picture of Bjorn's servers, you know, like an upstairs downstairs kind of thing, you know, they get down <laughs> the spread, gossip about the <laughs> It's actually just like Downton Abbey in, in Bjorn's yes. house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We got the whole subplots with like, you know, um, um, the problems among the, the rivalries between the sheep and the sheep and the dogs. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and the, and the, the, goat, the goat gets unfairly accused of murdering his wife, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Whereas, just because Tolkien did write about it, you know, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Just kidding. But see, the thing is, is that, the thing is, is that it's, um, that's, the whole idea of, well, you know, the animals and the story and what's going on with them, it. It's how it's the extent to which that's underdeveloped that I find so striking. I mean, it's not that I have like such a terrible difficulty accepting the fact that we've got animal, you know, dogs walking on their hind legs carrying trays. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I can make that leap. But what is to me so interesting is that given that it is so different, so far different from anything else we see in Middle Earth, um, no, he makes no effort at explanation. He doesn't, you know, so I mean, Trish, you were, I mean, obviously we're sort of joking about Nabby and Upstairs Downstairs, but, and it's not that we would need to know the private lives of these animals necessarily, but I actually kind of would almost expect Tolkien to give us more of their world, more of their yeah, perspective. Yeah. Um, that would be more like him. Even with the spiders, we get a glimpse of what their life is like, you know, and what their, um, and what their outlook is like. Um, and the the silence of the of the animals uh, uh, and the silence about them just it's I just find it again it's it's not that I am troubled by it but I I just find it um, unusual. You know what it makes me think of, and this is probably unfair to our listeners who haven't taken your course or listened to the Fairy and Fantasy uh, uh, podcast, but the Sabriel the what the constructs. Right. You know, that right. Yes. Yes. Father's house. Right. They're silent. They do all this. Stuff. I mean, for some reason, when I reread this, this chapter, it made me think of that. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, they do act like that. And that's actually that, 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 that points to, I think, precisely what I find so striking about it. Um, uh, yeah. The, the, these, uh, the, the charter constructs in Abhorson's house in, in Garth Nix, um, is you know that they're they're striking because they're they're these pure magical constructs that don't have any kind of free will and they don't you know they're just they're they're basically like magical robots essentially, um, and and you're right the fact that Bjorn's animals kind of seem like that is exactly what is to me so striking you know that especially animals which he seems to have invested with so much potential at least for personality they don't get it. Um, yeah. And uh, I, 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 that's and that that that's to me. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine. I mean, this might just be one of those scenes which Tolkien wrote in you know the early '30s and would never have written in the 1950s, and uh, you know 
probably would have taken out had he completed the rewrite of the Hobbit. He started in 1960 and, um, uh, you know, but like left in, you know, didn't edit out of subsequent editions of The Hobbit, chiefly because, uh, you know, he was attached to it and his children were attached to it. I don't know. I mean, I could imagine that. But um, but yeah, it's exactly that. Animals are almost never this purely functional. There's 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 although I mean, we do get Bjorn's love for them. It's not like they're being treated badly, um, but they're rarely they're rarely treated as background in this way, I think. Um, I mean, like the, 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 the eagles have more dignity, you know, they are, they are treated with respect. Um, you think about how the Rohirrim treat their horses and how we're encouraged to look at them. I mean, almost every time we interact with animals, um, in Tolkien's world, we, ha you know, we're, we're, we're encouraged to think of them with a kind of respect, uh, even for, as, uh, uh, Philip was reminding us, I think of that fox in, uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring, who wanders by the, where the hobbits are sleeping, um, even he get, gets we, we get some kind of internal life of that fox who's wondering what brings three hobbits out to sleep in the woods at night. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so I, I just it's 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 kind of a small point, but uh, but to me it's relevant for adaptation purposes because you know it's it's one of those i mean basically i kind of put the uh serving animals in the general tra la la lolly and talking purse category of stuff which i think is just not not going to be worked in wouldn't be able to be worked in without completely blowing the tone of the film um and i would be shocked if they do it i wouldn't be shocked if there was some kind of reference to it but i would be shocked if we actually get dogs walking on their hind legs carrying trays so, so you don't think? Um, uh, I don't know. They, I think we're gonna see. <laughs> yeah. What? What if they? What if they're not? What if they tone it down a bit? Like they're not working, walking on their hind legs. But, uh, you know, like it just so. It's hard to imagine what the scene will look like um, if they're sitting there having dinner. How did they get their dinner? Who's serving them? I mean, I guess maybe they don't have to show anybody serving them. But uh, no, I mean they they don't have to. I mean, you can certain you certainly could shoot that scene without servants. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, could they do, I mean, it seems to me to sort of put it crudely, there are three options, right? One is they cut out the animal servants altogether. One is that they go full bore and do the, you know, do the, the walking on their hind legs animals. And the other is that they kind of compromise. Like they have dogs bring stuff to the table, but they have the dogs walking on all four, you know, paws and carrying things in their, in their mouths, like a dog would. Um, that's possible. I mean, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. I mean, don't forget, we've got this guy who's given us gratuitous hedgehogs. Right. Well, obviously see. Obviously understand Radagast, you know, stuff. So it's. Exactly. Like, well, it's well, just an extrapolation. Right. Which recalls one of my favorite Radagast moments in the first film, you know, when he calls out to the other hedgehogs, give him air, give him air, you know, and they back <laughs> off from the hedgehog. That's from Sebastian. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite moments. And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, I think that, um, I think that they, uh, they, they, you know, certainly the way that they showed the animal, but again, you, you think about those, they didn't show animals with Radagast other, well, I mean, not even the rabbits, the bunnies, you know, the, 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 the sled bunnies, even they are, you know, never do anything that rabbits wouldn't, I mean, okay, yeah, rabbits wouldn't sit there and pull a, pull a sled, of course, but, but that is, 
they're, they would be physically capable of doing what they were. I mean, they acted like rabbits um, in all of their gestures and everything. And so did the hedgehogs. So I would think, um, again, it's just, it, just, it seems to, I, that, would be a, that would be a different, a new line to cross, again, to, to be showing dogs walking on their hind legs. And I'll be surprised if Brianna they has a good point. You know, Brianna suggests that they could just have a room full of animals who aren't serving anything but sitting with the company. I mean, that that sounds logical, you know, to set up Bjorn as this sort of protector and animal, you know, member of the animal world kind of thing. Right. Though they're going to have to, if I mean, if they do that, they're going to have to differentiate him from Radagast. And there's lots of room to do that. Um, but I would think that Bjorn would have a very different relationship with animals uh, than uh than Radagast would. And I, and there, but again, I think it's fairly easy. I mean, I'm assuming since Bjorn is going to be, I presume, a very imposing physical presence, um, that his, his relationship with the animals would be a little bit more authoritative, you know, more like, more lion-like, more king of the jungle-ish than Radagast's uh, was. Uh, Speaking of which... It- to do a little segue here, I, Corey, I don't know if you've got the show notes open where I clipped the the piece of the old movie scroll. Oh yes, um, yes. But I wanted to just point. I want to point out that this bear has because I you might want to share it with folks so they see what I'm talking about. But um, he looks like he's got Fabio hair. Like, I wonder if the human Radagast is going to be like. I wonder if he's going to have like long blonde hair, and when he turns into a bear, I mean, can you see that? I, I don't think bears usually have that kind. of Right. Here. here, hang on. Hang, sorry, I'm gonna. I'm, just, uh, I'm gonna share my screen here in a second. Are you gonna show? Yeah, yeah I'll show. People think. I mean, I was just. I was looking at that as you were talking and thinking to myself. You know, he's very imposing as a bear for sure. And I'm just thinking, wait a minute. I think that's long blonde hair there. Are you sure that's not just like sort of shading, coloring? Like yeah. It, it, on top well, it of it, it's back though. I mean, the, the like, thing that looks lo- like it goes, that, look, it goes down on either side of his cheeks. There's something yeah, that's on, the part you know, that, on the other side. Yeah, yeah. that's the part that anyway, really makes it look I like just... hair. The, the stuff hanging down <laughs> on cheeks and along the, the other side of his face really looks like hair. But Now, if know. we see a human Bjorn and he's got long blonde hair, so that's going to be okay. That, that'll be how we know it's Bjorn versus another just regular bear. <laughs> I guess. But yeah, it does seem a little bit. I mean, I would think it would be easy enough just make him the really big one, you know. I know. Uh, it, yeah, really. Making Bjorn st- stand out in a bear crowd wouldn't seem to be all that uh, difficult. But um, <laughs> though, you know, looking at this image again, it's actually, it's interesting because there's, there's, you know, we can contextualize this much better now um, in that when we first saw this in the scroll, it looked at least potentially like, you know, maybe this was a Carrick moment or right next to the Carrick moment. Um, but because that was before we'd seen anything of the Carrick and had no idea what it looked like. But now we have. And that's obviously not the Carrick. And, and given the, its relative altitude with the trees doesn't seem to be anywhere near the Carrick because um, there weren't even trees like that right around the base of the Carrick, as I recall, um, from seeing it from Eagle point of view at the end of the film. Um, so what I suspect is that this is a shot from Gandalf goes off to track the bears um, and presumably meets Bjorn, which he does not seem to do, which he doesn't do in the book. Um, but this seems to be perhaps a meeting between Gandalf and Bjorn, um, which would seem to fit in that. I mean, if they're following the plot of the book in that way, you know, and uh, Gandalf leaves the dwarves and Bilbo at Bjorn's house and goes off to 
find out what Bjorn is doing. If that happens, we, you could see this happening. Maybe this is when Gandalf is getting ready to go. But anyway, this seems to be a solo meeting between Gandalf and Bjorn somewhere in the woods, which is not, um, which is not related to their initial meeting on the Carrick. Yeah, and the Carrick is a little further down in the notes, by the way. I don't know if you want to show that or not, but um, um, I, I'm I'm wondering if the way they're going to meet Bjorn isn't something similar to, I mean, the way it is in the book reminds me so much of the unexpected party. I know you've talked yes. about that before too. Yes. It's almost kind of like a mirror moment, and I'm right. I'm thinking Jackson may do that as a mirror to the unexpected, you know, in other words, retain that sort of Gandalf warning everybody. And then, uh, you know, and also Bilbo's thing about the furrier and, Oh no, 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 don't say that. And you know, all that right. kind of stuff. And then he introduces them sort of similar to the way they do in the book. I, I mean, I could imagine it. Um, I mean, it's going to depend. I, I mean, I don't know. This is one of the, one of the themes doubtless of my predictions and analysis of film two stuff throughout this year is going to be my continual fretting about how they're possibly going to cover all the things that will need to happen in film two. Uh, so, so to launch into that right away, it's hard for me to see. I mean, I can easily imagine them giving Bjorn a more prominent role. Um, I mean, if I had to make a short list of characters in the published Hobbit, which are eminently expandable upon, you know, and which would be cool to see more of in the story, Bjorn would be near the very top of my list. Um, but uh, so I can easily imagine them doing more with Bjorn. But are they going to have the time to do a luxurious, uh, you know, several minute sequence of introductions to Bjorn? Possibly. Possibly, I mean, they could use that to sort of establish Bjorn as a as a potential ally, but dangerous and unpredictable figure. I, I mean, that could work, but um, it would be. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I would expect that. Well, and we have this this quote from Jackson that was just recently put out, um, where he says, this, "Jackson says the story definitely has a lot of Bjorn in the second and third movies." And then he says, Bjorn's the kind of character you want to write more material for, which is like, oh, my God, you know, are we now going to get even more, you know, is Bjorn now going to become like a central character to this thing? I, I that kind of worries me a little bit. See, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, well, Dave, did you have a response to that before I launch off again? Um, well, <laughs> it's, it's not hard to imagine him being included amongst the Avengers that assault um, uh, uh, Dol Goldor. Right, right. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be kind of cool. I mean, um, even in the published book, and much more so in some of the earlier rejected drafts of the Hobbit, um, when Gandalf separates from the dwarves and Bilbo, he goes back to Bjorn, and that's his sort of base from which he goes off to do whatever else he's going to do. Um, so yeah, you could imagine him separating from the dwarves and Bilbo and going back to Bjorn and saying, all right, I'm going to go, I could use your help. Um, that would be quite natural in some ways. So yeah, I could, I could, I could, I could see that. And, and I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think it's where, I don't think we should get too excited when we hear Peter Jackson say um, that, uh, oh, there's going to be a lot of Bjorn. Like, I, I don't interpret that to mean, well, he's, he, well, he's probably going to enjoy, you know, like, I don't think he'll be dominating the film. It, it's not hard to imagine. We're, we're probably going to have a pretty lengthy scene with him to start. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be following them to Mirkwood. And then he's going to pop up during the Battle of Five Armies. And, um, you know, it's, 
it's really hard to imagine the Battle of Five Armies not occupying at least 45 minutes on screen in the third film. And if right. he's in the middle of battle, then then he, he's probably going to have a oh, lot yeah. of scenes. I'm sure he's going to be a big piece. Yeah, and when they're and when they're going for awesome, cool action scenes, particularly the kinds that they they get to create with um, CGI, which which they and everyone else are completely enamored with. Well, you know, a giant bear yeah. um, striking a bunch of go uh, goblins is going to be like straight up all CG. There's not going to be a single real actor in that in that in those shots. So. Yeah, I mean that's, that's yeah no that's that, that that has seemed like a kind of manifest destiny basically that that you know that the prominence of the werebear assault uh, in the Battle of Five Armies, but but to move one step back from that though. Um, Assuming they do give a prominent role to, you know, a, a, a prominent place to Bjorn's intervention in the Battle of Five Armies, which, of course, they're going to do that. I mean, that seems inescapable. But if they do that, it seems almost necessary that they need to bridge the gap between what is in the book, Chapter 7, uh, and Chapter 17. Because in the book, he comes out of absolutely nowhere. I mean, we only get there's there's only one gesture like basically we, you know we leave bjorn at the uh, at the end of chapter 7 when they go, you know when they that's the the bjorn chapter and they go into markwood in chapter 8 um, we leave bjorn at the end of chapter 7 and there's almost no reference to him until he we learn after the fact that he suddenly burst in on the battle of five armies and saved the day for reasons really kind of best known to himself like we're not even exactly told what motivated him to make the cross country trek to do that it wasn't treasure that was for sure tolkien makes one makes two gestures basically now really really just one gesture at bridging that gap and 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 i say you know when i say he only makes one gesture i don't think it's as necessary in the book at all it works fine but um he mentions the fact after Smaug is dead and he tells us about the birds spreading the rumor of Smaug's death and talking about how the rumors of Smaug's death are being heard far and wide. Um, we're told that Bjorn has heard about it. That's it. Like the reference, the reminder that Bjorn is still there and that he has heard about the death of Smaug is literally the only preparation that we get for the fact that Bjorn is suddenly going to bust in on the battle of five armies and save the day. I think on screen, that's going to be completely inadequate. I think if we see Bjorn at the beginning of, of film two, and then he goes away as completely as he does in the book, and we never see him again, and we never hear from him again, and then all of a sudden we're in the battle, we're like half an hour into the battle of five armies, and all of a sudden, bam, a huge bear comes out of nowhere and kills everybody. I think that's going to be a, a, too much of a jolt uh, for film viewers. I just don't think that will work. So I think they're going to have to set up at the very least, they're going to have to set up why he goes and how he gets there and all that stuff. So and it seems to me that's like the minimum of what they're going to, of what they're going to do. Um, I don't know. There, you, uh, by the way, I just, I just shared a URL with the two of you that Sharon provided us. Um, that's from a September interview with Mikkel, who plays Bjorn, and apparently in that, and I actually checked it out, and he's talking about being hoisted up for a tor to, to do a torture scene, which the writer of the article thinks could be the one where he finds the warg and the goblin, you know, that we don't actually yeah. see that in the book, but yeah. I'm thinking, oh, oh my gosh, I, I did think about that when I read the thing last night, I thought, 
that's the scene that Jackson actually could include in the movie. Where he oh, absolutely. Captures them and tortures them. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he Tolkien clearly suggests that Bjorn captures the goblin and tortures him until he talks. Um, I mean, it's very understated in the book, but it, that's definitely there. Yeah, yep. so that was kind of interesting. That actually, that's that's one of the things that I suspect in terms of expanding his on-screen time. I imagine um, that I imagine they're going to portray his his uh, nighttime activities on the screen. That we're mm -hmm. going to see him running around with the other bears. I, I figure maybe, as you mentioned, Corey, that maybe Gandalf will sneak off and follow them. Right. Um, right. Which he does and, in the book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and uh, and and all, and all this stuff. So him capturing a warg and a goblin, interrogating them—that's also in the book. Uh, so I, I, the I, actor I describes it as a severe torture scene. He said, "He said I start with a severe torture scene." <laughs> all right. So anyway, that's 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 where the writer's thinking it, it's probably the warg and goblin deal. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, um, are there, are there any indications in the book that Bjorn enjoys mountain biking? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, <laughs> it's like a subtext. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, so, I, here's 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 my other thought about the Bjorn thing, and this is the other reason that I find Bjorn such an interesting character um, is his backstory. Um, his backstory, which is totally underdeveloped, and again, I don't mean that as a criticism. It's one of the most intriguing and tantalizing thing about the books, and it's one of the places in The Hobbit where we can see the kind of thing that Tolkien does so well and so persistently in The Lord of the Rings, that is, give a glimpse into the fact that there is this wealth of history lying behind things, but we never really see it all. Um, and we get that with Bjorn. We don't get that everywhere in The Hobbit, but with Bjorn, we get it. Um, you know, it starts with the sort of debate that Gandalf points to about whether whether Bjorn is a bear that can turn into a human or a human that can turn into a bear. And um, I so it, it's, it starts with that. And then there's a question of where did he come from? Uh, you know, is he is he a bear that came down or is he is he is he is he not? Is he something else? Um, is he just a human? Um, and what's his history? You know, Gandalf tells the story about, you know, overhearing Bjorn saying one day they will leave and I will return. So like, I guess he came from the mountains and uh, the goblins coming to the mountains drove him out. Um, I mean, I guess that's what we're to understand about that. But, um, uh, but we never learn any more about that. And then the interesting thing, of course, is that at the end of the story, once the goblins are mostly destroyed in the Battle of Five Armies, he doesn't return. You know, he doesn't choose to go back to the mountains. He stays where he is and decides, basically, I'm going to make myself mainstream in human society. And he brings in the woodmen uh, from the area and, like, becomes their lord and, uh, you know, establishes a new kingdom uh, there in the valley. Um why? What changed? What happened with Bjorn? Uh, you know, if it was his hatred of the goblins and they're driving him away from his ancestral home that led him to intervene in the Battle of Five Armies, which is pretty much the only reason we're ever given as to why he would do it um, and why he hates goblins so much, 
Well, if that's why he did it, then why didn't he follow it up and go back to his ancestral land uh, after uh, the Battle of Five Armies and he and he succeeded in accomplishing his his goal? Um, I don't know. And I mean, again, we're just we're never told. Um, and that story, you know, who he is and why he does what he does is 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 quite mysterious, I think. Um, and that is so that's certainly another place and another way in which um there's, there's, I, I, that, that's what I think of when I hear Peter Jackson say Bjorn is the kind of character who kind of begs to have more written about him. I mean, yeah, he, I, he kind of begs to have Tolkien have written more about him, but he didn't, you know, so um, I can easily see somebody doing an adaptation <laughs> of this story trying to, trying to fill that in a bit. Fill in, yeah. Now the other thing that uh, the other thing that's interesting, and actually Sharon kind of points to this, and Kate uh, develops it further, is uh, he's apparently portrayed sort of as a bare time lord. My hat off to the Hoovies <laughs> among us, um, where he he hates the orcs because well the orcs have killed the rest of his race, and I guess that's part of his backstory according to the actor is you know his hatred of the orcs the orcs killed his race, which then Kate points out you know that kind of connects him to Thorin. I mean there's like right. a common there's a common background there, so we could see that developed. Well, exactly, and even the is that, uh, is that book accurate? The whole his the rest of his race killed by the orcs. Or well, there's that, no um, see, there's no indication of that. There's no mention of that in the book. That right? that yeah. strikes me as something that strikes me as uh, the writer, the film writers um, uh, d expanding. Yeah, no, it yeah. does. I mean, sounds like something that Jackson filled in. Yeah. But again, you'll notice how easily, you know, again that one overheard quotation that Gandalf tells us, you know, someday they shall depart and I shall return. Um, notice how well that dovetails, though, with the whole exiled from my homeland, have no real place of my right. own, um, and li living in exile and want to return theme that is so prominently developed. And in, in, so, I mean. That's like ready-made. There you go. And so at the very least, right. you certainly have a potential for a strong parallel between Thorin and Bjorn, um, you know, as, as, as Sharon and Kate are suggesting. Um, but at the very least, you have like a potential kindred spirit. And that's another thing that I was thinking about, sort of reflecting on the passages of, of Bjorn in the book. Um, the moment when Bjorn accepts Thorin, you know, and says, you know, if you are Thorin, son of Thran, son of Thror, I believe... Um, and uh, then he's fine. Like, you know, then he, he's willing to accept him because he's heard of Thorin and what he likes about Thorin. The reason he's, a, he's, a, he accepts Thorin is that Thorin is clearly from a family of very famous goblin killers, uh, because he's heard about the goblin dwarf war and how they, how they killed lots of goblins in the mines of Moria. And that makes Thorin an okay guy in his book, apparently, because he's somebody who's, who kills goblins. So, um, uh, but but again that so that that connection is very slight and certainly Bjorn doesn't get all buddy buddy with Thorin in the book um, but I could see that connection being established more you know that they have a that they have a, a you know that they are potential allies that they have a common enemy um, I mean, they do in the book too but not as much is made of that and I wonder you know because they could really play up the parallels are there and they're there even in the book um, but they could certainly much more could be done with them than Tolkien does in the book and I can easily imagine the films going there and, and the thing that I thought about uh, as I was rereading especially your section uh, about Bjorn in your book Corey is is this the the character of Bjorn is so interesting because he, as you point out, he's kind of got you know 
sort of one, you know, one foot in the wild and one foot in the, in the world of men. And he, his whole character is that, you know, he's just ferocious. The way he talks to the dwarves and all that stuff. I mean, I think this is going to be a really interesting character in the movie. Yes. Yes. And I, I mean, I, I really hope that that comes off well. I mean, it's, it would be, it would be really easy to imagine Bjorn done badly. You know, it would be really easy to imagine, yes. uh, you know, it being over Paul the Bunyan, top. Like and, <laughs> yeah. Or, just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could, cause you know, Bjorn is, is, is a delicate balance. You know, he's a, del he's rude and he's uncivilized, um, you know, but he's honorable and he's, uh, and he has, is, is most prominently noted for his, uh, great affection for his animal friends, you know, and the care he takes for them, and also his uh, his ferocity bordering on cruelty uh, to the goblins and wards. Um, and so it's just it's very it's it's very difficult. I mean, I, I can't. Uh, it's 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 hard for me to. I mean, I, I I honestly can't imagine if I were directing how I would like what kind of cues I would want to give to the dude playing Bjorn. Like I, I, I can't even really picture how it should go. I, I don't have a clear picture of it. Though again, I can, I just, I can easily imagine it being bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, getting into some specific details um, on on the whole Bjorn scene, um, how do you have any thoughts about how they might introduce him? Because uh, because obviously um, uh, several of the people in our in our live listening audience have have pointed to the parallels between the way the dwarves arrive at Bjorn's house and the yes. way they arrive for the unexpected party. Um, and I, and and also actually from that standpoint, also similarities to the way they arrive at the uh, the the troll camp. Right. Just trickling in one or two at a time. Um, it's hard to imagine them actually doing that on screen here, uh, unless we're going to spend forty-five minutes at Bjorn's house <laughs> in the Shire. Right, right. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. And and I mean, I, guess I, I could imagine that, but but I I would be I, I'd be surprised if they do that. But here's an interesting thing: if you think about it, of course. That parallel, which is, I agree, clearly a parallel in the book, the way that Gandalf is trying to gently introduce the dwarves and Bilbo, and especially the dwarves, um, is kind of like how the dwarves break in on Bilbo. But that makes establishes a, a, a parallel, not between Bjorn and Thorne, but between Bjorn and Bilbo. Um, and obviously he's a different kind of reluctant, uh, audience. You know, it, it's not just here's this Baggins ish guy that needs to be introduced to the world of adventure, but, uh, you know, again, Bjorn is in a very different place, but again, to have us to, to strike a similar kind of dynamic, to put him in a similar kind of position of, we are bringing our adventure to him. Um, and just as we were trying to recruit Bilbo, so we're going to try to recruit Bjorn. And the dynamics of that are different, but the situation is kind of parallel. Um, and then to allow um, it, it, op it to, if they do something like that, if they actually do anything with that potential parallel between Bjorn and Bilbo, then it puts them in the place of having Bjorn have some kind of complicated, you know, maybe I should get involved, maybe I shouldn't get involved kind of, um, kind of dilemmas, just like Bilbo did. Um, and I mean, that I could imagine, you know, I could imagine that, you know, basically Thorin making some impassioned speeches about how they need his help and how, you know, he should be a kindred spirit to them and, 
you know, his unwillingness to leave his hall and to leave his animal friends. And this is not my business. And, uh, you know, I mean, I could, I could, I could definitely see some things along those lines. Um, and it would be interesting to see that kind of a, that kind of a multi-way parallel structure, you know, having Thorin, having Bjorn be a parallel to Thorin on the one hand, but also a parallel to Bilbo, especially given the, what I believe and hope will be a sort of increasing complexity of Thorin and Bilbo's relationship in book, in film two could be really, really interesting if it's done well. And will we have the dwarves give us a reprise of far over the Misty Mountains cold? You know, I am, uh, I am not without hope. As I pointed out in my book, the, the wind song that they sing is the same exact meter. Um, uh, so, I mean, that song, if you're going to sing it, I would sing that song to the same, whatever tune you, uh, you decide on for the far over the misty mountains cold. I think that that wind song should be sung to the same tune. Um, so, you know, it, whether or not they actually sing the wind song, but I could imagine that happening. You know, I, I, I was saying all along that I thought there was no chance we were going to get Tra-la-la-lally. The wind song seems totally extraneous. I mean, as I've argued, I think in my book, there's no poem in the entire book that seems more extraneous than the wind song that the dwarves sing in chapter seven. But... But, uh, but I, I don't put it in the Tra-la-la-lally camp. I can certainly imagine, especially with the position that it now has at the beginning of, of film two, I could easily see, you know, uh, them taking, the, you know, Jackson and company taking the opportunity for a kind of, uh, uh, you know, musical reprise um, of that song in the beginning. So I am, I am, I am, I'm not going to say I'm optimistic, but I'm not without hope that we'll get at least some well, kind of version could, of it. They could sing, they could sing the verses, some of the verses they didn't sing from the unexpected party version of the song. You know, Possibly though they, though they integrated those visually in other ways, you know, well, so true. I'm not sure that they would do that, but, but I could see basically some, you know, repeated versions of the song of the original song, like not, not that they're just going to do the wind song as is, but that they're going to, I could imagine them doing some repeated verses, but then integrating some um, revised stanzas from the wind song. Um, And basically that would be playing in the same direction as happens in the book. I mean, you'll remember that the dwarves make up for Thorin, a revised version of the far over the misty mountains cold song. Once they get to the mountain, um, and they're under siege. Uh, and so I could, I could easily see uh, them taking that one step further. You know, we have the initial song that was so memorable in film one, and we're going to get the, uh, the sort of cocky pep talk version of the song in, uh, in film three, um, you know, the, the, um, the one to try to entertain uh, the, Thorn under the influence of the things he's under the influence of in uh, in, <laughs> in film three, but then also he won't he won't say the D word. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have that fight, Trish, but not at this moment. That's why I didn't say it. Pipeweed? No, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I figured. I figured. No, no. Uh, dragon I'm sickness, Dave. What we're point talking point about? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. <laughs> But so my point is, I could imagine a transitional one, basically them them doing a third version um, and having a, a kind of on the road version. You know, now we have we're not just talking about this. You know, 
the, the first song is about remembering, about looking forward to taking the step to set off on the path to do something about it and to take vengeance. And now the, you know, to have a, a second version where we now add some verses about the path and about being on the road and on the way. And I could definitely see them incorporating some motifs and lines and images from yeah. the wind song. Uh, into that, so I, I mean, I, we'll I have see. flimsy. I have flimsy evidence for that, you know, which Dave Kale will throw out as soon as I say it. But um, <laughs> you know, Armitage, Armitage, in some of his interviews, has said multiple times, you know, that, that dwarves will sing at the drop of a hat. In other words, they're real, you know, they they love to sing songs and they get together, you know, when they're drinking and they sing. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know, when do we have instances of that? Okay, unexpected part. Bjorn's is another instance where they're going to be drinking and eating. So, I, you know, singing sounds like something that they're going to do. Now, whether it's going to be a Misty Mountains or whatever, we don't know. But I would imagine we are going to see some kind of singing at Bjorn's from Dwarves, just based I, on that flimsy evidence. I would just say, I mean, it's a nice notion, but I just think this is one of those cases where they're going to defer to the general movie going public. I can tell you, like, Teresa, her response to that would be, more singing, and, it, and also visually, sort of, and visually on screen, it's gonna be, it's it's gonna be, it's gonna be duplicative. It's gonna be, it looking, it's gonna look exactly like the the singing scene in the previous film. And right. in general, I feel like that that they want to avoid that, like because otherwise people are gonna be like, we're watching the same movie. The dwarves show up, they gather in somebody's house, they sit and they eat and drink, then they start singing and talking about going somewhere and try to convince this guy. And it's like, we want, they're like people are going to be like, wait, is this? am I watching the movie from last year? What's going on here? Um, and so I feel like, I, I think that they really are going to want to try to go out of their way to differentiate these film, the next two films from the previous one. And, and, and certainly one way they could do that, and I personally, I, I, I think a good way they could do that is make it not start so slowly. Right. Um, like, get right into it. Like, I, I kind of imagine the possibility, um, last night when I was thinking about this, I don't, they probably won't do this, but I sort of was wondering, if maybe they might want to start this film off with a recap of the previous film, of the events of the previous film, and then do a reveal and have it be narrated by Ian McKellen, and then do a reveal where they show that, that they're actually already sitting at dinner with Bjorn and Gandalf is um, uh, is actually recounting the story to Bjorn the way he does in the book. Like That would be a little jarring because it would be like, whoa, who's that guy? What are we doing here? But But it is a way that they could really jump right in and get going as opposed to having to do a sort of a drawn out introduction of this Bjorn character and that kind of stuff. They didn't really do a recap in Two Towers, did they? How did Two Towers start? Well, uh, it with, started with Gandalf's battle with the, the Balrog, didn't it? Or is that right. the oh, Yes, it did. That? Okay. I, I believe so, though, yeah, it's been so long since I've seen the cinematic release. I'm not 100% sure, but I think so. Um, uh, I know. Yeah, no, but, but even that was at least an attempt to tie, I mean, it sets up Gandalf's return later in the film and it does tie them back to, I mean, in fact, we get flashbacks to scenes that were literally in the first film um, at the beginning of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the opening scene of The Two Towers is a scene from The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, the, Gandalf's confrontation with the Balrog on the bridge. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I love the idea, Dave. I mean, I think that that's, that as a mechanism, since we do in fact get in the story 
you know, in the published story, a retelling of the earlier parts of the story um, right at this moment, it does seem to present itself very naturally in that way. I could yeah. easily yeah. see that it could be done in some very interesting ways. Um, but um, uh, anyway, I, I, I think, yeah, it's, it would be hard to bring it all the way down to the present. You know, it would be hard to, to then explain the gap of, because Gandalf's story would hardly, Gandalf's story to Bjorn would hardly include them meeting Bjorn yeah. and arriving at his um, house. So, so uh, another thing, another thing to change topics a little bit. Can we talk a little bit about how, what, how Bjorn will be portrayed visually? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's an interesting question because he, so he's supposed to be like an enormous person, right? Like, yes. of, like almost a giant type person. Uh, the, there's no indication that they've cast a a a like a seven foot man to play him. In fact, the guy that they cast, uh, Mikhail Perbsbrandt, uh, looks like a pretty. In fact, he looks like he looks like Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> he really does. Um, so uh, so I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering sort of how are they going to portray him visually? And I don't mean as the bear. I mean as as uh, the man. Person, what what is yeah. he going to look like? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. He, he he's a, a a a giant, though. Of course, I'm I'm careful using that word after the stone giant sequence in the, in, in the first film. Um, is he a rock'em sock'em robot? No, I don't believe he is. But the uh, the 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 one clear indication of Bjorn's height that we're given is that Bilbo, uh, who is you know three feet ish tall could walk underneath, you know, could pass, could look, walk between his legs under his tunic helm, under, under the hem of his tunic without ducking. So that means that Bilbo's, you know, Bilbo, who is three feet tall, comes out up to about mid-thigh on Bjorn. So he's tall, but he's tall in like the seven to eight feet variety of tall, not tall in the like 15 feet tall variety of tall. Right. And there are some illustrations, you know, if you look at if you look at the history of, uh, you know, illustrations of The Hobbit in various editions in various languages, you'll see some Bjorns who are clearly like 12 feet tall. Um, and that does not seem to be the way that um, that Tolkien describes Bjorn. But yeah, he's enormous. I mean, he's 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 easily. I mean, I think he should be the tallest person that they meet in the, you know, the, the, the tallest person in any of the films. I mean, he, he should be that um, based on the book. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do with scale. Um, and in particular, how he scales next to Gandalf. I mean, we see him next to Gandalf in bear form, but in human form, it, you know, right. what's he going to look like? And it's not like they haven't done that before. I mean, that's what they've been doing all along with Bilbo and the dwarves and Gandalf, but it, it'll just be interesting to see if they, if, that's just one level too many of uh, of trying to do the perspective trick where you've got Martin Freeman and then the dwarves are a little bit bigger and then Gandalf's a little bit bigger and then and then Bjorn's a little bit bigger. Right. And these guys are all really actually the same height. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it is going to be hard. Um, exactly. So I don't know. I mean, what, yeah, that's going to be tricky. And I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. Um, especially since, I mean, they do have that have one. I have the inside of Bjorn's house. I'm sorry, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about uh, what do you think about Ted Naismith's uh, uh, illustration of Bjorn? Um, you've seen that one, right? Yes, I have. 
It's not uh, one of my favorite. Well, it, most of Ted's Hobbit stuff is pretty early stuff um, mm-hmm. of his. And uh, let me remember here. Let me let me try to pull it up. He, look, he looks very Paul, Paul. He looks positively Paul Bunyan-ish. In yes, yes. Um, and, and not at all like not at all like uh, Mikhail Pearsbrandt, who who's who's got kind of a uh, sort of a Daniel Craigish sort of blue eyes and very sort of uh, almost a. I think, yeah. I don't mean to insult you, Mikhail, but you but you are you're a very good looking man. You're a very you're a pretty boy almost, at least in your <laughs> IMDb photo. So. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So here, here we go. There's one of Ted Naismith's Bjorns. And the proportions here are enormous. I mean, if you see, like, if they're all sitting down, so it's a little hard to imagine. But Bilbo would be barely above the knee of Bjorn in this, and Gandalf would looks like if they were both standing, he'd be about maybe up to his chest, would not quite reach his armpit. Yeah. I was trying to figure out I was trying to figure out why that table had legs. <laughs> Those are the dwarves bowing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why yes. does it have legs and a beard and arms? <laughs> I know, I'm like, what a weird there's, table that is. There's dismembered <laughs> arms on the table. Because <laughs> it looks like it looks like Gandalf's holding his, his staff like on the other side. I don't know, it's just strange. <laughs> yeah. What is okay. Gandalf doing? Why is Gandalf's staff so tall? Or is I, he holding it at the bottom? Yes, I'm not quite sure about that. I guess he's holding he, it like a club. He could be holding it up about to about to beat the dwarves with it, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> probably not. Uh but yeah, no, this is an old this is an old uh you know, one of uh, one of Ted's early paintings back in the eighties. You can see it's dated nineteen eighty six, I think, there on yep. the bottom. Uh so uh it's uh, this is uh uh, but it's, yeah. it's definitely looking at Mikhail Perzbrand. It, it seems hard to imagine uh, the the Hobbit filmmakers going in the direction of of like Ted's portrayal with Bjorn looking like that and Mikhail looking the way he does. Yeah, I mean it's it, exactly. I think it's going to be tricky, and I, I could imagine them doing Bjorn as a not very physically imposing character in human form, and to make in order to make the transformation to bear the more dramatic that I could. I could see them going that way too. Um, and in some ways I kind of, well, yeah, see, I mean, in some ways I kind of like it. Uh, I kind of like that idea. Um, that is to say, to sort of emphasize, uh, Trish, exactly what you were describing about him having one foot in, uh, in you know, the human world and one foot in the wild. Um, that could be conveyed by having, you know, his human form look sort of fairly normal human and his animal, and then, you know, to contrast that with his animal form. Um, I, I could see that, but who knows? Well, there we go. Somebody gave, Daniel Helen gave us a link to uh, one of John Howe's Bjorn illustrations, which yeah, here I was, probably oh, is, probably is more, probably has more bearing on how they'll do it in the film. Well, certainly does he, so. Does he, have an, does he carry around an ax? Well, I'm he, looking at this toy figure, and I don't know if it's from the movie or not. But yeah, he's got this enormous axe. He, yeah. he he does he does have when they he's chopping wood. I think when they meet him first, so he right. does have an axe ah. uh, when they show up. Seems unlikely to be like the double bladed barbarian, full handled barbarian no. axe that the action figure has. Yeah, or I don't a, think a wood axe. I don't think you would use that to chop wood. A double bladed battle axe. <laughs> no, um, no. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly is a muscular boy in this action. This action figure is actually from the movie. Um, I don't. I'm not. Geez. I don't think it is. But I although it, it does, it looks a lot like the John Howe illustration, which which is yeah, kind of a does. kind of a, a tall barbarian guy wearing a tunic and boots and and a full beard and long hair. Yeah. Yeah. And mucklucks and UGG boots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's his one foot in human civilization wearing Uggs. Yeah, go. yeah. He's literally got a foot. In. <laughs> the, the look on Bill, I assume that's Bilbo. The look on Bilbo's face in John Howe's illustration is funny. I mean, I just it's like you almost think I don't know. He almost looks apologetic for something. Yeah, he looks like a, a naughty child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's supposed um, to be feeling awkward uh, and yeah, uh, you know yeah. feeling self conscious about his missing buttons, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's that right. is a, that's that is, a, and, and I mean, the way that Bjorn is standing with his, you know, fist on his hips and everything looks very disapproving. Yeah. And he's just, sorry um, about the furrier comment, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Kate Neville, um, staying on sort of the, uh, Bjorn on screen thing, Kate Neville brings up a good point regarding his transformation. I wonder if we'll get to see that on screen. Right. Uh, uh, and, and she, what she specifically says is, she hopes they they don't do it, or at least that they don't make it look anything like uh, Professor from um, Prisoner of Azkaban. Right, right, yeah, and no. It, that's yeah. one of those things, in my opinion, that uh, that it seems as though they'll probably it's it's seems unlikely that. They'd be able to add into pause and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to see how they do that. I mean, I I hope the transformation doesn't happen on screen. He'll um, be another one of those CGI characters that doesn't bother Corey, but bothers me. Azog. <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. I don't know. I mean, I but I do hope the transformation doesn't happen on screen because it's I. Yeah. I, I think it would be better um, just to, yeah. Um, I mean, it might be too tempting. I mean, that kind of a transformation is is always yeah. tempting uh, for a CGI artist. But um, anyway, let's um, let's kind of hope not. Yes. Um, uh, let's see. I what else do we want to get into with Bjorn? Well, you kind, we've kind of already talked a little bit about this, but I don't know. I think there may be a little bit more depth to plumb here, which is Bjorn. Bjorn's real sort of driving um, energy is behind his hatred of the orcs, right? I mean, in the book, it is. Yeah. And that seems to be sort of the overriding thing. I mean, he's not even that much of a. Uh, I mean, he loves his animals, and he's sort of a friend of man. But I mean, his main real thing, like. You said, you know, his the thing that makes Thorin okay with him is because he's from a family of goblin slayers. Right. Right. So uh, that, and what Jackson's done so far with the goblins and orcs, seems like that would follow through in spades in the movie. I would think so. Um, I would think so. Yes. And it, yeah, yeah. Um, can you guys hear me okay? I think I'm cutting out a little bit here. Can you guys hear me all right? I think there's uh, a lag. I think fine. there's a lag. I can hear you. Yeah, there's yeah. obviously I think I'm lagging. a lag. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, sorry about that. Um, don't know if uh, my internet connection is being a little bit disrupted here, but um, you know, I'll try to soldier on here. Um, but anyway, I I um, I would just say that I think that uh, the question of Bjorn's animosity with the goblins. One question would be since they have done the Peter Jackson thing of subdividing the goblins and orcs in the way that they have, um, you know, is there a particular way that they spin that? Um, you know, is it, is it, is it the goblins of the Misty Mountains? You know, the great goblins people who capture them and from whom they run away, are, are those the ones that Bjorn has the issue with? Is it Azog and his people? Are they going to make him more closely tied to Thorin in that way? Um, because I mean, again, they do make such a big difference of differentiate, such a big deal of differentiating, um, that I wonder if that is going to end up playing into it at all, and not just being a like I hate all orcs thing, but um, I have a particular grudge, um, kind of thing. Maybe maybe his boogeyman will be um, um, uh, Bolg. Maybe, maybe I can imagine this. Um, and also, you know, the other question, thinking back, Dave, to one of the comment you made about potential allegiances between, uh, between Gandalf and Bjorn, as far as Dol Guldur is concerned, um, you know, I does seem to, he is right there on the edge of Mirkwood. It does not seem to me, it would, would not seem to me an enormous stretch, uh, to actually go one step further and have him be involved or affected in some way by the rise of evil in Mirkwood and, um, and therefore kind of a natural ally in that way. And we yeah, may see him at Dolgaldur. Uh, yeah, th uh, that's something that actually Brianna suggested early in our, our comments that maybe they'll utilize Bjorn in 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 much the way that they utilized Radagast the Brown to kind of uh, explore the sort of the the growing evil or danger or corruption of the world. So maybe we'll get um, obviously it seems pretty likely we're going to get some scenes that feature him, um, you know, kind of as the main character in those scenes without the dwarves in the party, maybe with Gandalf or something, but maybe, maybe we'll get, get like a full on Radagast the Brown type scene, like an, a sequence where it's basically just him on screen. Right. Of, uh, exploring some, some evil done or something. Right. Well, the other thing I could see is I could see him joining, assuming that the battle of Dol Guldur is going to be in movie two, I could see Bjorn taking part in it as sort of a foreshadow of his being at the battle of five armies. So, right. you know, like Corey said, I mean, you know, you want to, you want to see him in action more than you do in the book. So that's a possibility. So he could, he, you know, the, the dwarves and Bilbo may go into the woods. And, I mean, may go one direction and Gandalf and Bjorn may take off for Dol Guldur from Bjorn's house. Yeah. You know, and I hadn't really thought about that possibility much of Bjorn's being involved in that subplot, but it, it's, it certainly is imaginable. I mean, somehow Jackson has to get him from his house to the Lonely Mountain. And he's going to have to have some other thing than like a brief flash of Bjorn hearing, hey, uh, Smaug is dead, and him being like, ah, hmm. And then the next From thing we see him, he's hundreds of miles further on. And I know, of course, the crossing of great distances in no time at all is no obstacle in Peter Jackson <laughs> movies. But um, but nevertheless, uh, still, like for, for a, from a character motivation standpoint, there has to be more. We have to, he's going to have to do something. Jackson is going to have to do something to get to move Bjorn from his house to the Battle of Five Armies, and maybe Dol Guldur is it. I mean, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he 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 goes with Gandalf or helps Gandalf, and then Gandalf basically says, "All right, you know, uh, 
I'm going to go up to, you know, to the, you know, do, do you want to come with me? You know, basically Gandalf recruits him to come in. And so Gandalf provides sort of the bridge or at least invites him. And then he comes later on. Maybe it's still a surprise. Maybe, you know, Gandalf tells him about, you know, this is their need and you remember this. And Bjorn says, no, thank you. And says he won't show up. And then he does. I don't know. But, um, but, but still there has to be some mechanism. Uh, to make it not seem completely random and out of nowhere that he shows up in the Battle of Five Armies. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, Yana thinks Gandalf is going to be Gandalf. He thinks he's going to be Gandalf's ride in the Battle of Five Armies. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that that seems that's if they do that. Ugh. That, oh, that know, seems completely incompatible with Bjorn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... Sharon thinks Bjorn will. Sharon thinks Bjorn will sport a more conventional dog sled. To which I answered, "Yes." And he and Radagast used to have sled races in happier times. <laughs> right. Oh, I don't know. I think Bjorn gets around just fine in in massive runs. On his own. Form. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that that actually brings up a good point, though. Uh, it seems like they're going to need to make do some effort to kind of differentiate him from Radagast the Brown, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, visually, of course, they don't look at all the same, and, and right. Bjorn, it's, it's easy to tell him from Radagast, because he, um, uh, you know, is this giant man who shapeshifts into a bear, and yet, um, if they're both kind of Gandalf's helper, who, who, are getting, who are in this because they're sick of the necromancer or orcs or whoever hurting their animals, and, you know, they both kind of have the animal thing going on, so... Yes. Uh, seems like they're going to need to make some effort to differentiate them. Well, I think here, here, here's my prediction about how that would go. I predict, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying before about, uh, you know, a more of a king of the jungle kind of attitude. I think Bjorn is going to have a much more sort of authority, like that the relationship between the animals and him, he's going to be kindly and he's going to care about them, but they are going to be more like his subjects than his friends, you know, that he is going to be like the Lord in his hall. And, um, you know, whereas Radagast is like, you know, buddies with all the animals, you know, and, and that in particular, that kind of touching scene of the mice swarming into his clothes when they're scared. Um, I don't think we're going to see that same kind of thing with Bjorn. I would expect them to have the animals show him reverence in ways that they don't show to Radagast. Um, you know, like the animals are not going to poop on his face. Let's just say it that way. You know, this, <laughs> yeah. So I think that like, that by itself. The animals will blunt, will sing "Blunt the Knife" with Radagast, but when Bjorn shows up, they'll, they'll go. Cry exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I mean, but I agree. I mean, if we're gonna have two like friends of the animals in this movie, we we you know we can't just have them. Um, uh, to, though again, it's another thing we haven't talked about is the relationship between Radagast and Bjorn, um, because that's again in the book he knows of Radagast. You know he's heard of Radagast and and, and respects him, um, and it's very easy to see. I mean, since they've done obviously so much more with Radagast and have said they're going to do more with Bjorn, um, that relationship seems something obviously to build on. So um, you know you could see them being more explicit allies. Brianna suggests there'll be a dynamic crime-fighting duo in the Force of Mirkwood. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I could even see Radagast, you know, su- you know, su- uh, suggesting when, uh, you know, because he's apparently going to meet up with Gandalf again. I assume we're going to get that footage 
that was described from CinemaCon, where uh, Gandalf and and Radagast meet at the tomb of at the tombs of the Nazgul. Um, well, I could even see you know Radagast saying, "Hey, okay, so Gandalf, you want to go after the Necromancer? Um, you know, you might want to call in my big friend Bjorn on this one. Like he'd be awful handy if it comes to assaulting uh, you know a, a, a fortress." So. Bjorn um, is definitely Batman to Radagast Robin. <laughs> Batman, you have to, I'm just writing that to Brianna. I was like, yes, that's definitely the, you know, Bjorn is Batman and Radagast is Robin. He, he, yeah. he, is, he assumes the guise of a scary animal. He, he doesn't use lethal weapons. He's trained in physical combat. He probably talks really low too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, they. It, it's clear, even in the book, they have some kind of relationship. Um, and so, yeah, if you're putting both into more prominence, yeah. I can't imagine they're not going to do something with that. You know, I don't know how that'll play out, but. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think they're. I think that they'll definitely leverage off those the connection that's brought up in the book and make it. Uh, visible to us. Yeah, that, that does bring up a, an interesting question. So, in the book, um, uh, uh, Bjorn is familiar with Gandalf's cousin Radagast. Does not know Gandalf himself. Gandalf knows Bjorn, I guess, by reputation. Seems to know a lot of details about him. Presumably, he learned about them uh, via Radagast. Maybe. Um, I wonder how how Bjorn's sort of pre-existing relationship to the the various wizards and the White Council and stuff will be will be set up. Will it be similar? Will they maybe may, maybe Gandalf will actually know Bjorn personally? Um, uh, uh, something Trish suggested maybe Radagast will actually show up at the beginning of this film to take them to Bjorn's and introduce them. Mm -hmm. Thoughts. I could imagine that. I mean, he's going to show up at some point. I doubt it would be here. Um, I, I doubt. I'll be surprised if the first move of the film is the second sudden spontaneous appearance of Radagast, who teleports himself <laughs> back across the, the Misty Mountains. Spontaneously disappeared. Right, exactly. Uh, I mean, not that that's out of character for him at this point, but I'll be surprised if they go there. Um, but uh, but I certainly could see that relationship being played up later on, um, and maybe even the, the, the like, uh, Gandalf's own friendship for and respect for Radagast being something that's played up much more heavily uh, in trying to recruit yeah. the goodwill and assistance of Bjorn. Um, but uh, I think yeah. we're going to see Gandalf introducing them like he does in the book, you know. And I think this whole concern about make sure you know all the stuff he goes through, make sure you don't piss him off, and make sure this and make sure that i mean i think we're going to kind of see some of that it may not be you know a huge long scene but there will be something of that so i think you're right i think it'll just be gandalf who knows of bjorn if not knows him personally yeah yeah well we'll see we'll see but i um we we should probably move towards our riddle now the riddle. yep mm -hmm. yep yep since we have 20 minutes left and we usually go into detail <laughs> right the riddles. exactly um take it away right. who's going to do it so so Corey, why don't you introduce Corey? it since this one is yours? Okay, well, I was thinking about focusing our riddle for this week on the question we already touched on a little bit of Bjorn and his uh, animosity with the goblins and how they're going to how they're going to play that. Um, so here, let me just read through the things and then I'll go back and comment on them. So, okay, so the riddle is: How will the film treat Bjorn's relationship with the goblins? A 
He resents them for displacing them. He re resents them for displacing him from his mountain territory. That's the book answer. B, he has a more personal grudge against them from his own or family history. You know, I could, they killed my parents or whatever. Like basically there's, there's some concrete wrong in his background, which leads them, leads him to have a personal grudge against them. Um, C, his hatred against the goblins is in some way explicitly linked to Thorin and his family history that the films are going to take, are, are going to, are going to take the, not just as a, like a parallel or a kindred spirit, but that it's actually connected with, uh, with, with, you know, that, that it, it, Bjorn is introduced as actually part of that central plot. Um, and D, he has no particular grudge against the goblins at all. We're not going to see him be like, you know, crazy goblin killer Bjorn. He's just going to be like, you know, maybe he's willing to kill them, but he's not going to be driven by his hatred of goblins as he is in the book. Okay. So those are our four options. So I'll repeat them again. A, the book answer, uh, he resents them for displacing him from his mountain territory. B, he has a more personal grudge against them from his own personal history or from his family history. Uh, C, his hatred against the goblins is, is, some, is in some way explicitly connected to Thorin and Thorin's family history, or D, he has no particular grudge against the goblins at all. Um, which uh, so um, let's imagine for a second that uh, the that the the blurb in the interview with Mikhail Persbrandt is true that the goblins apparently murdered all of his people or something like that. Which which one would that uh, that would be B? That would be B. Would it be B? Yeah. Okay, more that would personal be B. grudge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so A is book answer. B is um, something beyond loss of territory that, that gives him a much more visceral personal hatred. C is uh, a, a, a sort of a sympathetic, empathetic um, Bjorn who who hates the goblins on the behalf of the dwarves or someone else. And then D is D is a, is like even more neutral toward them than he is in the books. Yes. Yes. Okay. Ooh, this is a tough one. It's hard to it's hard to know how seriously to take like a sentence in a paragraph uh, at the start of an interview, and it's not even clear that that was derived from the inter from the interview with the actor. And I'm always suspicious of what the actors say anyway. And that interview was from uh, like uh, 15 months ago. And translated from Swedish into English. Yep, What's right. more? <laughs> so, so, uh, it's about as indirect out, as possible. So so returning to our superhero duo thing, Brianna did point out that B is also the Batman answer. B is the Batman answer. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You made me first. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, the, the thing that I, I mean, I'm kind of tending toward B. To me, it's it's A or B. I, tending toward B because of Jackson's, it seems to really be emphasizing this whole, you know, goblin versus the world thing. I mean, grudging, you know, I, I mean, I could kind of, I don't, I don't necessarily, I could see maybe C, but I don't. I don't know that there's, I, I just, I, to me it's like A or B and I'm tending toward B, but I'm going to wait for Corey to give his answer because he usually talks me out of it. <laughs> but, but, but Trish, just Which might be the, part of my problem. I was going to say, just think of the number of times you've been led astray <laughs> by being convinced by me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
bad. It's like I said uh, last week. It's like I can only do better from you know. I can. It's only up from here for me. So I, right. I think I'm gonna go. I'm okay. I'll go for. I'm gonna go with B. I'm gonna go with B. I think that it's gonna be a more dramatic thing than just displacement from territory. You're you're allowed to change your answer after Corey gives his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm currently I'm leaning toward A book answer. Okay. That's that You're that's also allowed to change your That's beginning <laughs> to seem like the safe answer at this point, you know, after film 1. Uh-huh. Um Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go with B as well. I'm actually I'm tempted by C. I'm te- now of course Trish that means you might want to change your answer. But I'm I'm tempted by C. <laughs> Uh, because I could see them wanting to connect them even more closely than just a parallel, um, more than just a, Hey, you have a grudge against the goblins. I do too. Um, or, or even, Hey, Oh, you hate the dragon because the dragon took your home. Well, the goblins did the same to me. You know, I yeah, I can see him wanting to go more than that and to actually, um, you know, make Bjorn, uh, be connect, you know, kind of like we got the flashback to as an Ulbazar, you know, some other flashback, to, you know, Bjorn could have been involved there. Some, I mean, even at, as an Ulbazar somehow, you know, or, or, or in some sort of the circumstances surrounding it, I could, Im- I, I could imagine them having the impulse to connect him much more explicitly with Thorin's story, not just as a parallel, but actually a part of the story. So that in the battle of five armies, the uh you know the the defeat of the goblins the defeat you know the death of the dragon and the restoration of the kingdom becomes meaningful for bjorn in some way other than just yeah i I got the opportunity to kill lots and lots and lots of goblins um so i i could see that but in the end i doubt it and with as much as they've done um, they have done really great stuff with making parallels among the characters. I think it's one of the things that I was really impressed by in the first film that I thought that there were some really, um, some really nifty and intricate parallels that were created among the characters that were, that were sort of really, I thought really stimulating to think about. So um, I think that maybe they will just take the opportunity to do, to, to really enrich that further by, uh, um, by putting, Bjorn in a situation which is directly parallel to Thorin's without being explicitly yeah, identical. Yeah. So, right, that's what I was thinking. I, yeah, I don't, I'm not buying this it. This is probably not right. I mean, my thought, my thought was that you know, if it was explicit with Thorin, that we would have seen him. It, it's in some way in movie one. Although I realize that's not required. Um, I mean, we got to see Thranduil though. So I mean, if we got to see Thranduil and he's going to be connected, then you know, we should see Bjorn. But. I, I'm st- I've, I'm staying. I uh, believe it or not, Corey. I'm staying with B. I'm, I'm okay. Gonna, you know, okay. like. I'm, but actually, I'm see, so your your reference to Thranduil though brings up a good point. I mean, when when when, when P- perhaps somebody will ask, well, what would C look like? Like, what kind of connection could they have? Well, remember, they did that with Thranduil. They made Thranduil a vassal of the King Under the Mountain. That's a big change. Um, and bring and and they did that clearly to bring Thranduil more into the story to make it more of a big you know to to make um, what is at stake between Thorin and Thranduil much more important both in the capture in Mirkwood and also in the in the lead up to the Battle of Five Armies. Um, 
so that was a huge shift that not a lot of people talked about. But the scene, and I think people were so uh, so distracted by the use of the phrase "divine right" when uh, alluded to the Arkenstone in that same scene that they totally passed over the fact that Thranduil is swearing fealty to the king under the mountain. Um, but that's a big deal. So that, that that's one example of how Thranduil has been brought into uh, is, is, is an example of what I'm talking about, about how Thranduil is involved directly in the story of the Lonely Mountain and not just peripherally. And so I could imagine them doing a similar thing with Bjorn. You know, Bjorn was a friend and ally of Thror uh, back in the day or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? You know, to make it more personal right. and a more personal connection between them rather than just, hey, you hate goblins. Me too. Let's be friends. So um, anyway, I, 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 that's, that's, my, that's my defense of C and it's what leads me towards C. But, but in the end, I, I, I don't think so. In the end, I think it's going to be B. And I don't think it's going to be A because I think it's gonna, it's, they're, they're going to want something more personal. I think that they are going to want some... Um, some kind of, especially since, and the, the number one thing that convinces me against A is the torture scene. Um, because I think they're going to want to have some explanation. I mean, if they're going to have, if they're going to show the torture scene, Bjorn is going to be uh, a, a, a somewhat more potentially sinister character. He already is in the book. Um, you know, th there's going to be, you know, clearly he is not safe. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of uh, right on the, the 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 gray line between good and evil, even because how he treats the goblins, even though they're the bad guys, is not a hundred percent acceptable. Um, and um, anyway, so I, I, if if they if they show the torture scene in the film, they'll be going there even more strongly. And I think if they don't give a very clear and very compelling reason to explain that, if he's just like. You know, I kind of professionally hate goblins and I enjoy torturing them, you know, like that makes him more evil than they're going to want. I think that Peter Jackson is, is yeah. going to want more connection between Bjorn and the audience. He, so. To justif justify it. Yeah, exactly. It needs more justification. I really think they're going to have to do yeah. that. So, so there you have it, folks. We picked A, B, and C. Uh, no, no, I'm picking B. I'm picking no, no, B. No. So, He's picking B. I pick no, no, B. I pick, a, I'm picking A. You're picking B. Trish is picking C. So no, I no, I'm picking B. No, oh, Trish, Trish is B. I'm picking yeah. B. Yeah, I see. So I suggest the listeners switch to D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or C. Whatever you do, don't listen to us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Actually, I want to know what what are you picking, Brianna? <laughs> that's right. No, yes, that's the real yeah, question right. here. What is Brianna picking? <laughs> well, we're waiting to see what Merrick picks, right? Wait, exactly. Wait to see what Merrick picks when we, yes. when we get out to this. <laughs> um, so I, there's, a, there's a few things that people tossed out that I think are actually really interesting that I want to cover um, apart from the, the riddle. Um, uh, one in particular from Tony Mead, Corey, who says, uh, shouldn't it be a surprise that Bjorn shows up? I'm, I imagine he means Battle Five Armies, kind of in that you catastrophe vein. Right. Yeah, though it's interesting because it's not exactly played for you catastrophe. Not that sense of you catastrophe. Well, okay, let me explain what I mean by that. The, 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 the feeling, Tolkien described this. In one of his letters, he described rereading The Hobbit again years after it was published and said that he was pleasantly surprised to find that the arrival of the Eagles in the battle of five armies still had that sort of feeling of you catastrophe, you know, that, that it, it spurred the emotion, which he associates with you catastrophe. 
and I mean, I think I know what he's talking about. It's doubtless the same thing that makes me almost perfectly incapable of reading, um, you know, Aragorn's arrival at the Harland in the Battle of Pelennor Fields without crying. I mean, uh, but Bjorn's arrival does not have that same, it, it is objectively understood, you catastrophic in a sense, but it doesn't have that same impact because it's told about after the fact. It happens off stage. We don't see it. Um, so, you know, we're not staring into the face of defeat and then all of a sudden the bear comes rushing in. We're told about, and it's sort of gratifying, it's satisfying to hear about, um, and it's moving to hear about, uh, you know, Bjorn coming in and lifting the body of, the broken body of Thorin and carrying it free of the battle and then having come back to, to finish mopping up. I mean, it's, it's powerful to hear about, but it doesn't have the you catastrophic touch in that sense. Um, but but here, you catastrophe on film, this is something already that people are having a problem with. I mean, like as soon as eagles show up in a Tolkien movie now, everybody starts muttering deus ex machina under their breath. Um, and yes. that's exactly how you catastrophe often feels. And it's a, it's a, it's a line that you skirt um, when you do you catastrophe is that to some, it's always just going to seem like deus ex machina and nothing else. And I think there is a difference um, but I do think that that difference is kind of lost on a lot of people. So certainly my fear with Bjorn uh, showing up out of nowhere, you know, like he does in the book, again, if we don't see him, if, if he goes away after the first half hour of film two and the next time we see him is he's busting in one hour into film three and, uh, and winning the Battle of Five Armies, I think it's going to be like an almost comical deus ex machina. I mean, I think that I, I, I would actually suspect people in the audience might laugh like, Oh, where did the huge bear come from? That's ridiculous. Um, and I think that seems to me a reaction that Peter Jackson has to be very active in managing or, you know, in, in, in working against. So that's why I think the diminishment of the surprise um, seems to me almost inescapable. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that yeah, I think you're right. I think the Eagles do kind of have the corner on that market now. Too, right? <laughs> yes, I can't imagine Jackson expanding, you know, that uh, to another species. <laughs> right, or 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 perhaps you know, really the true heroes, uh, the moths. Yes. The moths. Right. The, the the like world's fastest moths. <laughs> the moths are coming. The moths are coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it was I think it was Kate or maybe it was uh, I can't remember Kate or Sharon. We we both were saying in the question thing that Bjorn hears about you know the dragon's death from a moth. Yeah. Oh, clearly, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Gandalf's just sending off moth after moth. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon he's going to have them living in his hair so that he can he can have them available to him all he the time. Send them. They're, right. they're going right. to the, they're gonna replace the speaking ravens with moths. You know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yep. The dwarfs will be sending them to And the moth will be a moth that goes down to get Bart, to tell Bard about... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. That'll be good. Who needs thrushes? Who needs ravens? Who needs eagles? We have moths. We have moths. That's right. So, so the other thing, Brianna, Brianna proposed perhaps, perhaps Bjorn will be our real spinoff bridge film. Right. Yes. Exactly. Bjorn and Radagast. To do a Bjorn and Radagast buddy film. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It'll, yeah, it'll be a comedy. <laughs> yeah, no, it would. It would. I in mean, the mode of in the mode of Hangover. 
<laughs> well, just, Beverly, I was thinking more like Beverly Hills Cop or something like that. You know? Just think what a great straight man Bjorn would make. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, <laughs> it would be good. It would be good. Radagast introduces Bjorn to pipe weed, right? Uh, you know, all there's just all kinds of really. This should be really. This should be. This should be like a a, a TV series. Is what that's was really should be. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I was thinking more like the tick. <laughs> a procedural, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes, a, a forest detective procedural starring Bjorn and Radagast. That would be good. CSI Merkwood. CSI Merkwood, exactly. They suggest gentle Bjorn. Right. Right, right. Here we go. I'm telling you. This this would this 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 could be excellent. No, okay, actually, it, it couldn't, but it would be funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would be fun. All right, well, we should we should wrap up here. Uh, this has been a fun note, yes. a fun a fun discussion of uh, of Bjorn today. I think we got there's so much to talk about with Bjorn. Again, I think that Bjorn is yeah. uh, is really one of the most tantalizing characters in the whole book, and so. Um, and it just, there's so many questions that arise in really every aspect, you know, as we were talking about, what does he look like? How does he act um, in human shape, in bear shape? Do we see him shift? What's his attitude towards the goblins? Why is his attitude that way towards the goblins? What's his relationship with Thorne going to be? Are we going to get more Radagast? How, how are he and Gandalf? What is his relationship? How does he get from one place to, I mean, everything about him is so interesting to think about. Um, and uh, so, anyway, I, I, this has been this has been a lot of fun. I think this was this was a, a, I, a I can great wait topic. I to see the Bjorn bobblehead. Oh, Bjorn bobblehead <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but boy, I see video game potential here. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There'll be a um, Bjorn Bjorn transform button. <clears throat> oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bjorn bear right. combo attacks and everything. Absolutely, no. Yeah. It's very, it's very easy to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, we well, will. A lot. Yep. Thanks for joining us, everybody. So we'll let everybody go. So thanks for listening, and Godspeed. <laughs>